guys. Yeah, the plates are right here. Thank you so much. The kids can bring up their joyful offering as well. And then they'll go with Miss McKenzie after this last song. But Lord, we thank you for this offering. Thank you for providing for us, Lord, in so many ways. Lord, we ask you to be honored, that you will be pleased with our offering, and that you'll multiply it and bless it, Father, and do amazing things through this church with it, Jesus. You've done loaves and fishes many times. So, Lord, we ask you again, that these cheerful givers, Lord, that you would turn that into amazing things for your kingdom. In Jesus' name.
Forgive us for complicating things or for not setting time aside to spend with you. Lord, look into our hearts this morning. I pray, Jesus, that you'll move in mine. We need you more than anything else. This world will fade away, but you will not. You are mighty and holy. You are the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Nothing can trump you. Nothing can go over what you say. You don't break promises. And you always come through. No matter what, your plans are perfect. So Lord, help us to trust you. Help us to lean into you. Father, be with us the rest of this sermon. Be with Pastor Tim as he brings your word. Anoint him and surround him with protection. Let us receive it well, Lord. If there's things you've got to pull out of me and purge out of me and pull out by the root, let's do it. Let's get her done, Jesus. Because I want to be as close to you as I can. We need you, Lord. So this is for you. And we love you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for being here and moving among us. And Father, thank you for looking over us. In Jesus' name. To go to children's church, kids run because it's going to get rough in here. So you run. Man, it's good to see you today. Could we have the house lights up a bit so I can see you? See, I want to look at you. I want to see your faces. Okay, maybe we better turn them down again. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Oh man, I'm glad to be in the presence of the Lord today and in this place with you. We have been walking together through these verses in Matthew that are referred to as Beatitudes. And as we walk through those, it is easy for us to pull out one of those verses and to hold it up to the light and examine it and then just click it back into that spot where it was before we pulled it out to look at it. 
And that is certainly true of the beatitude today, found in Matthew 5, verse 8, which says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. That's 11 words. And we read those 11 words, and then we decide what we think about their message, and we kind of move on. But we have to realize that each of these phrases, each of those are part of a larger mosaic. They are part of a sermon that was delivered by Jesus. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. And like any decent sermon, that sermon flows, those things flow like that beatitude, those comments, those phrases flow in to the context of the sermon and the thoughts that follow. And they are expanded and they're explained and they're supported as that sermon progresses. And that's what's happening here. And this one, blessed are the pure in heart, that can be a bit overwhelming just hearing that phrase. And especially, <laughs> I was 12, 14 years old. I'm coming to terms with theology in that little white clapboard Nazarene church that I told you about last week. And I'm listening to sermons that emphasize something that may not be the real point. Something, well, that would... That would have been me, at least, growing up in a holiness church. Purity was a concept that was driven home Sunday after Sunday, and it normally meant something close to perfection or sinlessness. Now, I, I wasn't knocking off the corner candy store, but I was far from sinless. And I'm not saying this morning that purity of heart, as I heard it then, isn't something that's possible. And I'm certainly comfortable that it's something that we strive for. But I realize that there is a different way to approach this idea. Blessed are the pure in heart. I'm going to make some of you very nervous this morning. Because you grew up like me. Most of you may not be familiar with the name Soren Kierkegaard. He was Danish. He was a theologian. He was a philosopher. He was a poet. He was a writer. He was born in 1813. And he lived only 42 years. But he left behind a treasure of thoughts that still fuel the imagination and on occasion can bring clarity to a question. And it was he who said, purity of heart is to will one thing. Purity of heart is to will one thing. And I think he's right. And that one thing may be to live as sinless as one can imagine. But in the context of this chapter, I believe that it means unmixed motives. It means that you are a person of integrity. That your motives are true. You see, God is concerned with why we do things as much as He is concerned with what we do. 
He is concerned with motives. And so we read on over in chapter 6 because this sermon is moving. It says, Be careful not to parade your good deeds before others to attract their notice or you will lose all your reward from your Father in heaven. Is it possible to do good things with wrong motives? Yeah, it is. Is it possible to be outwardly, outwardly religious and inwardly a mess? Yeah, it is. And Jesus is saying here that happiness comes when you are the same on the inside as you are on the outside. So as we wrestle with this idea of purity and motive, it might be good if we would remember that God sees everything. So we get to chapter 6, verse 3, and we read the phrase, Your Father who sees what is done in secret. Listen, nothing is a surprise to Him. Does it bother you to know that you have no secrets from Him? It bothers me sometimes. A lot of people think they're fooling God. Have you ever had the devil come up alongside of you and say, go ahead? No one will ever find out. Listen, somebody already knows. If God already knows everything, I might as well have a pure heart rather than try to fake it. I can't fake out God. And the amazing thing is that in spite of knowing everything, He still loves me. And you. So maybe I should start by examining my motives. Why are we doing what we do? Proverbs 24.21 says, God knows and judges your motives. He keeps watch over you. He knows. He rewards you according to what you do. And in Matthew 6, Jesus gives three examples. And for those examples, he pulls up prayer and giving and fasting. And all three of those are good things. But they are things that we can use in wrong ways. Take giving, for example. I hope today, <laughs> I hope today, when I am finished with this message, I haven't messed you up more than you already are. When it comes to giving, Matthew 6, 2 says, So when you give, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogue, and on the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. So he's saying that when we give, we shouldn't give in order to be seen by other people. At one of the churches that I have served, there was a couple, fairly wealthy. And they liked to contribute things to the church. But everything they contributed ended up with their name on it. Now don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with memorials. Given in loving memory of my mother, blah, blah, blah. But these folks had their name on everything. And it wasn't a memorial to someone, it was a memorial to them. 
We come to verses 2 and 4 in 2 through 4 in chapter 6. And it says, So when you give, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret rewards you. You know what that's saying? It's kind of funny. It's almost like it's saying, don't even talk to yourself when you give. And then Jesus talks about praying. In verse 5. And this is a hard one for me. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Now hear my heart. Several weeks ago after after a message that was kind of a hard one here, I said to Larry King, I said, you know, most of the time we preachers preach about what's troubling us. And he said, I know that. But he said, why would you feed it? If you didn't need it, why would you feed it to us? <laughs> so, but I come to this thing on prayer. Have you ever heard anyone pray to the crowd? You know what? Pr- praying for the benefit of the people who can hear. Not really talking to God, but talking to you. Praying for the benefit of the people who are there. And it's beautiful and it's flowery. And when they're finished, you want to say, wow. Now that was a prayer. Have you ever heard anyone pray reminding God of something that He already knows so that they can actually tell you? Dear Lord, oh God. Don't let us forget that baby shower on Saturday morning at 10 o'clock. And Lord, make sure that everyone knows that they're supposed to bring something for the potluck dinner. And dear Lord, please don't let us forget that there's a committee meeting tomorrow night at 7 o'clock and everyone is invited. Do you... Or have you ever given someone a pat on the back in prayer? Lord, I thank you for those eight people that showed up to help me with whatever it was. Why don't you just tell them? They're in the congregation. And you're praying so they hear you pray for them. Oh good, hey, he prayed for me. I feel better about him now than I did before. See... Sometimes what we're actually doing when we pray is, to, is an effort to get the approval of other people. And Jesus says, you have your reward. When you pray, when you talk to God, talk to Him like you would talk to me or your spouse. You don't do it to impress other people that might be hearing And then Jesus deals with fasting in verse 16. And he says, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces. I don't know exactly. They disfigure their faces to show men that they are fasting. When you fast, put oil on your head. It's a brill cream. A little dab will do you. 
and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting. See, what he's saying is, when they disfigure their faces, they would go around looking sad. Oh my God, I'm fasting. I hope everyone can see how miserable I look. And know somehow, oh God, let them know that I look this way. Because I'm fasting. Why did Jesus mention these three things? Because He's pointing back to chapter 5, verse 8. What's the point of all these things? The point is to keep it a secret when you do something good. And if you can't keep it a secret, maybe my motives are mixed. Purity of heart is to will one thing. It is motive. It is integrity. The test of the pure heart is, can I keep it a secret? If you prayed all night, I mean from 9 o'clock last night till 6 o'clock this morning, could you keep that a secret? Or would you be eager to find some kind of a conversation where you could just drop that little nugget in? Well, you know... I was up all night praying. That's good. But three times, Jesus says, don't be a hypocrite. He uses that word with each of these three issues. Which perhaps indicates that the opposite of a pure heart is to be a hypocrite. Jesus says the Pharisees love the praise of men more than they love the praise of God. So that's what they get. Praise of men. 1 Thessalonians 2.4 says, We do not aim to please others, but to please God who knows us through and through. Who do you want to please most? On this Sunday morning, that's the condition of your heart. If you want to please other people, that's what you'll get. But that's all you're going to get. So let's remember that God sees everything we do. And Jesus says, happy or blessed are people who just say, here it is, folks. Purity doesn't mean you're perfect. But it does mean that you're transparent and you're authentic. So with that as a background, perhaps I need to realign my priorities if I want to be pure in heart. Exodus 20, verse 3 says, You shall have no other gods before me. Now, if you've ever heard of the Ten Commandments, that's the first one of the ten. You shall have no other gods before me. So God is saying, listen, I want the top spot. I'm not going to play second fiddle to anyone. I'm not going to have any rivals. I want first place. What is a god? A God is anything that has first place in my life. So how do I know what my priorities are? Well, I can look at my activities. Where do I invest invest my time and my money? The Bible says, don't pile up treasures on earth, but keep your treasure in heaven, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. 
So what I'm saying is, if you'll let me look at your checkbook register and your calendar, I can probably tell you what has first place in your life. Where we spend our money and our time often, usually, determines what is first place. Is it God? Does He have first place in my day? Does He have the first part of my money? Does He have the first day of my week? Is God first? Purity of heart is to will one thing. Or I could look at my anxieties, I guess. What do I worry about most? And if you're reading over here now in chapter 6, verse 25, it says, therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life. And if you go through chapter 6, you'll find the five most common worries listed or addressed. In verse 24, it's finance. In verse 25, it's food. In verse 27, it's fitness. In verse 28, it's fashion. And in verse 34, it's future. God says, check out these things to see if your motives are right. Or I guess I could also look at my ambitions, my goals. For they reveal the direction of my heart. Whatever is the number one goal in my life, my ambition, what's important to me, that is probably what is my God. And when we read chapter 6, verses 30 through 33 from the, the Phillips translation, or paraphrase, It says, don't worry about these things. What? Those five that I just mentioned. It says, this is what pagans are always looking for. Your heavenly Father knows you need them. Instead, set your heart on all these... Set your heart first on His kingdom and His goodness, and all these things will come as a matter of course. See, most believers have exactly the same ambitions as non-believers. But God says that if we set our heart on Him, what He wants us to do, all these other things will be brought in as a matter of course. Jesus says, happy are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So purity of heart means I'm continually aware of the presence of God I want Him walking with me. I am seeking Him. I am looking for Him. I am ready for Him to reveal Himself to me in every situation that I walk through in life. That's where I want to be. God, how can I make You smile today? How can my little tiny grain of sand on this spinning globe, how can I make You smile today? You see, it comes right back to the whole question of who do you want to please in life? God says, you want to please other people? Fine. Try it. You can't please everybody. But you can please God. God, I want to do what you want me to do. Wait a minute. Let me say that again. God, I want to do what you want me to do. Somehow that seems to simplify life a bit for me. I can't please everybody. 
But if I can please God, then I know it's the right thing. And that simplifies life so much. Pure in heart means I'm content with God's praise. And I don't have to have yours. As nice as it is, and I'll just tell you, anyone who ever stands on this platform and tells you they don't appreciate a word of affirmation, they're lying to you. Because we all do. But I can't stand here and speak to please you. My desire and my goal and my responsibility and my assignment is to please Him. I want the reward of God. The people, listen, the people who are the biggest givers aren't usually very showy about it. It's usually the people who hardly ever give. Who are basically saying, look over here. I'm dropping something in the plate this morning. Pure in heart means I'm controlled by God's priorities. A heart set on what God says is important. And look at the results. It's happiness. It says, blessed or happy are the pure in heart. Why? Because they're not faking it. They're not trying to be phony, to pretend. Unhappy are those with a divided heart. And then it says, they shall see God. You, you, get, to see, you get to experience Him in your life, and then it's heaven. My uncle used to say, all this and heaven too. And just as you can't see very well through glasses that are dirty, you don't see God very well with a dirty heart. So how do I get a clean heart? How do I clean up my heart so that I can experience this happiness that He says is there if my heart is pure? My motives are right. God is my focus. He is that one thing that I will. How can I, how can I do it? How can I clean up my, my heart? Now, I've laid a lot of guilt on some of you today. Now I'm going to take it off of you. How can I get my heart clean? How can I make my heart clean? You can't. If you could, Jesus, Jesus wouldn't have had to come to earth. But I know a heart specialist. And his name is Jesus. And he makes house calls. And he doesn't cost a thing. And he's never lost a patient. And he's a pro at heart transplants. And he makes it possible for us to do what David did in Psalm 51. It was after the most shattering experience, I guess, of his life. I mean, you think you've got troubles. David had committed adultery with another man's wife, and then he had that man assassinated. He put out a hit job on that guy. So he was a murderer and an adulterer, and he felt lousy. Guilt was dripping off of him when he prayed. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Filled with clean thoughts. 
and right desires. To get a clean heart, you just ask God. You ask Him and He'll give you a new heart and a new outlook and a new life and a new start. Some of you sit here this morning with a broken heart and it's hurting today. Some of you have a hard heart. There is so much bitterness and resentment and anger in your life and it's been there for so long and you've let it pile up and you have this stony, hard heart and nothing seems to be able to break through or to penetrate to the place where you sense tenderness toward God or your neighbor. And some of you probably have a divided heart. You're trying to serve God one way on Sunday and living like the devil on Monday. You're trying to please different people. You have two masters. You act one way with one group of people and other ways with other groups of people. It's divided. And there's no wonder you're not happy. God wants to give you a new heart, a new outlook, a new understanding of purity. To will one thing. Purity of heart is to will one thing. And now after I said those things about prayer, I'm hesitant to pray in front of you. But maybe I could lead you in a prayer that some of you would want to sing, to pray. And as I pray, maybe some of you say, man, I want my motives to be right toward God, toward my fellow man, toward my... And maybe you'd like to pray here. That's up to you. Or maybe you'd just like to kind of hook on to the prayer I'm going to pray and say, God, that's mine. Let me pray. Father, help me to be more aware of your presence and to realize that you're everywhere and you see everything. Thank you for loving me, even though you know me completely. Every single thing I've done. You know every thought that has crossed my mind, every jealousy, every bit of envy and lust, or fear, the depression. You know it all. And it's hard to believe that you love me. But you say it over and over again in your word. God, I want a new heart. God, I don't just want a new heart. I need a new heart. I want a pure heart. So I ask you today to create in me a clean heart filled with clean thoughts and right desires. I'm asking you, Father, to become the center of my life. 
and help me be more concerned with pleasing you than with pleasing anyone else. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Father, as your people, we sit here this morning quietly. Wondering what you want us to do and how you want us to respond. And believing that there are those here in this congregation who have been praying that prayer that I just tried to pray. They've heard those words and they've hitched on to them because it reminded them of where they are in life. And Father, some in this crowd just now ask you to create in them a clean heart. And my prayer is that each of us will be able to accept by faith that in reality you do that and that you have done that in the hearts of other people. And we give you thanks for the power of your spirit to change a heart and a direction and motives and to change our life. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Would you stand with me, please? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you and give you peace. Go now in peace with a pure heart. God bless.